my mother had very specific instructions for my brother and me as we were growing up, and, and every home does, uh, and, and my dad had some of those uh, particular rules too, but there was one lesson that my mother drilled into my head over and over and over, and the lesson was this one. Son, if our house ever catches on fire, you get these pictures out first. And then she opened that entertainment center and pointed to all of the photo albums and uh, plastic boxes where there were pictures gathered over the year. This was when people still had, you know, took pictures and developed them. And she said, son, if, if, we, if we have a fire in this house, everything else is replaceable. We can get new furniture, we can get new clothes, we can get new toys. But if we lose these pictures, they are gone forever. We won't ever have another picture of you in, at your six-year-old birthday party. They'll be gone. We won't ever have any more pictures of you in your eight-year-old Little League baseball uniform. We won't ever have any more photographs of you and those four girls that you took to senior prom. All of those pictures will be gone. And so, son, these pictures are our most valuable possession. They're not what cost us the most, but these pictures are our family treasures. And so if you smell smoke, you get these pictures out first. If there's time, you can go back in and get something else, a toy, some clothes, your little brother. But you make sure that these pictures get out. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus gave us such clear instructions? I mean, this, this book is filled with lots of different guidance and revelation. There, there's a lot of material in this book. And so wouldn't it be something if Jesus said, look, more important than anything else, Here's what I want you to focus on. That would be helpful for us. The good news is Jesus did. And so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along today, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that this week you should receive some information from our church office related to our pastor search committee selection process. You'll get a letter with some instructions inside giving what the church bylaws say about our pastor search selection, and then you will receive at least one ballot in, in the letter. If you are a family of four, and all four of you have made professions of faith in Jesus Christ and have, have joined our church here at First Baptist Union, then you're going to receive four different ballots just like this one. And so you'll complete all of those and return them. Let's say that you're a family of four and you have one 13-year-old child who has received Christ as Savior and has joined our church, but then you have maybe a seven-year-old that hasn't yet made a profession of faith. Even though you're a family of four, you'll receive three ballots because you have three different members of, of our church within your family. So when you get this ballot, you, you may be somewhat overwhelmed. There are over 400 names on this ballot from which you may choose people who are going to serve on our pastor search committee. You may select up to three men and three women. 
You don't have to select three men and three women. You can say, I've prayed about this, I've thought about this, and God really only is leading me to circle this one man and this woman. That is perfectly fine. You don't have to circle three men and three women, but you may circle up to three men and three women. If, however, you circle four women and one man, or, or four men and two women, then your ballot will not be valid. Because you may circle only up to three men and three women. It's not a total of six. It's three men and three women. That's what the bylaws say. You also will notice when you get your ballot that it will be numbered here in the top left corner. The reason for our doing so is on the day that we, on the final day that we receive all of these ballots, this process will not be like deacon election, which, I, which you probably are more accustomed to. You haven't had a pastor search committee uh, or at least a selection in 12 years. And so you're probably more familiar with deacon election. On February the 21st, these ballots will not be passed out. When, once you receive it at your home, this sheet will be your ballot. And so you'll turn it in, and then we will count them. There won't be a separate election on February the 21st. And so the reason that the ballots are numbered is so that we will know that we have the proper number of ballots. I don't want to share the name of the church, but I have a friend who's a deacon at a church, and his wife is on staff at that church. They were voting on a committee, and they had, they had people stuffing the ballot box. They had people who said, hey, we want to make sure that our people get on there. And so they had way more votes than they had people. And so since we won't be distributing ballots on that Sunday morning, we want to make sure that we have the proper number of ballots. And so you'll get these this week, and then they must be returned in the 11, or, or before the conclusion of the 11 o'clock service on February the 21st. So, you'll, so you will have three Sundays once you receive this to look over the ballot, to pray about it, and say, God, who would you have me select? And then you'll, you'll be able to turn those ballots in anytime that you want to. There will be a little box here in the foyer so you could bring yours next week or on the 14th or Wednesday night, or you could turn them into the church office. But when the service is over on February the 21st, that that 11 o'clock service, then our voting will be done. If you have questions about that, uh, you're welcome to call the church office. We've, our staff has worked very, very hard. We were just about ready for these ballots to go in the mail last week, and then we discovered there was one name missing. We've got three different systems in the office going with, with records and things like that, so we kind of have to cross-reference and say, well, this person's in this one, but they're not in this one, and they have an envelope numbering of this one, but, th but we don't have that over here. And so we had to do a lot of cross-referencing to make sure that we had everybody, but we think that we do, and we think that uh, they will go out this week, and then you'll have those three Sundays, the 7th, 14th, and 21st, to get those ballots back in to us. All right. In Matthew chapter 6, this one verse which probably every single person in this room could quote for us is Jesus' one-sentence instruction about what is more important than anything else. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Jesus said, look, if you want to know in this very, very thick book if, uh, of all of these instructions, if you really would like to know what is more important than anything else, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will take care of itself. 
So I want us to talk today about seeking the kingdom of God every day. Not just periodically, not just sporadically. How can we make sure that our agendas match what God says for us to do every day? I think it's important for us here at the beginning of the message to define what the kingdom of God is. It's a mysterious concept, and you, and you might say, well, what am I supposed to seek? Am I, am I supposed to seek the return of Jesus? What is it that the kingdom of God means? A standard definition for the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is the place where everything is the way that God wants it to be. Now, the place doesn't necessarily have to be a geographical place like Union or Newton County. The place could be our relationships with each other, how we spend our money, what we do with our spare time. When we are seeking first the kingdom of God, we're saying, God, in everything that is a part of my life, I want everything to be the way that you want it to be. When everything is exactly the way that God wants it to be, that he desires it to be, then that is the kingdom of God. And one day that kingdom is going to come and everything will be exactly the way that God desires for it to be. Jesus said, until that day, you seek it. You make it your top priority. You make it your mission every single day to say, God, today, this day, the kingdom of God was here. Everything that I did was the way that you wanted it to be. Now, we know, of course, that that, that, that statement is true. It came straight from Jesus. And so every one of us would nod our heads and say, yes, of course. Of course we should do that. Yes, we should seek first the kingdom of God. But not everyone does so. Not everyone puts his or her head on the pillow every night and says, I lived today. This time that I was awake, I was right in the center of the kingdom of God. All day long through my agenda, through my duties, I was seeking first the kingdom of God. But if we know that this verse is true, if we know that we should do it, then why is it that some of us have these nagging, gnawing doubts saying, did I really do anything today that mattered for eternity? You may not wrestle with those questions, but I think that there are plenty of people who lay their heads on the pillow at night, and if they look back over the day, they may ask themselves, God, what did I do today that is going to count for eternity? What, am I, what did I do today that will matter 10,000 years from now? So if we know that this commandment is true, why is it that we don't all obey it? That's the uh, theme of today's message, and I want to give you two specific reasons. One reason that, we may, that some people don't seek first the kingdom of God is because they don't want to. There are some people who already have the, the agendas for their lives laid out. They know exactly what they want to do. They know exactly how they want to live. And yes, they know that their values collide with God, that they crash against what God wants, but they don't care about that. They already have determined, these are the plans that I have for my life. And God can have his say if he wants to, but any place that what I want to do and what God wants to do are in, are in conflict with each other, I'm just going to choose to do what I want to do because that's what makes me happy and so some people do not seek first the kingdom of God because they have no intention of doing so they never have thought about doing so they really don't want to do so they want to live each day on their own agendas and it doesn't matter what God wants they simply care about their own comfort and pleasure 
Now, the work that I do for a living in my travels uh, puts me in a lot of different uh, diverse situations. Sometimes I speak in very, very large churches, sometimes in tiny churches. Uh, uh, I just last night finished up a disciple now down in Perry County. They said they're going to be praying for you today. When, we, when I let, I guess after hearing me speak, they praise, oh, God, please have mercy on First Baptist Union. But on, on my way out of First Baptist Church Richston last night with all those kids from the county gathered together, they said they're praying for us today. And so I see lots of different types of, of churches. I'm in some churches that are, that are really, really exciting. And you say, man, this is, this is rejuvenating. And then sometimes I'm in churches where I just leave and think, man, they should just close the doors. There's nothing going on here. But it isn't just churches. I meet lots of different types of people too. Sometimes, particularly during revival services, a family might invite the church staff over for dinner before the revival service or maybe for dessert afterwards. And sometimes I go into homes and, and everyone sits around the table and the little children are precious angels. They sit there and they go, Oh, Father, we praise thou for the labor of thy hands. Thou hast provided this wonderful abode in which we live. We thankest thee. Mother, what a queen thou art. This bountiful meal laid before us. What a delight to our taste buds. How wonderful. And you sit there and go, look at these children. And you rub their heads and gold comes off on your hands from the little halos on top. And sometimes I am in homes just like that. But not always. Sometimes I'm in homes like yours where the children are terrors, where they are running around and, and the parents are sitting at the table and they're, no, 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 don't ram your little brother's head in the wall. No, 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 don't set the curtains on fire. No, 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 don't put down mommy's handgun. And they have all these different types of things going on. Now, the issue isn't when those children are running around. The issue isn't that they don't know what their parents want them to do. They do know what their parents want them to do. They just don't want to do it. God's got some children like that too. God has some children who are determined. I am going to do what I want. And it does not matter, God, what direction you may lead me. I'm not going to seek first the kingdom. The kingdom that I'm going to seek is my own. And here's how I'm going to spend my money. And this is what I'm going to do with my time. And here's how I'm going to treat people. And this will be the level of my church involvement. God, your kingdom isn't what I desire. I desire my own. And so one of the reasons that even though this sentence could not be more clear, that people disobey it is because they don't want to obey it. They simply have dug in their heels and say, God, I don't want your kingdom. But I don't think that's the majority of us in this room. Perhaps some. But I don't think that the majority of us get up early on Sunday morning. Now, maybe some of those pagans in the 11 o'clock service who can't get up early. 
But I don't think that, that people here would get up and would be shaking their fist in God's face saying, God, I don't care what you say. I am going to do what I want to do. There could be some of us here like that, but I don't think that, that the majority of us are like that way. So if it isn't that we intentionally disobey and say, God, I don't want your kingdom, then how is it that we still struggle with, God, did I really live today seeking first your kingdom? I, I, I can look back over what I did every hour, but... But were those things the way that you wanted them to be? Or did I just get wrapped up in the duties that I had? Did I get caught up in my schedule? God, did today count? Did it matter? Did I seek first your kingdom today? If, if we don't, if we aren't in the category of intentional disobedience, I think there's a second possible explanation. And that is unintentional distraction. Not one of us in this room has to awaken tomorrow morning and say, God, I already have made up my mind. By the end of today, I want to have wasted these 12 to 15 hours that I have been awake. And I want to come to the end of the day and look back and say, I really did not do anything that is going to count for eternity not one of us has to awaken tomorrow morning with that goal in mind for that to be the case tomorrow evening. The issue is that once we become distracted by the immediacy of, oh, I need to do this and, oh, I need to do this, that sometimes the kingdom of God can get pushed to the background. We didn't intend for it to happen. and We did not, we did not desire for it to happen, but it did. Let me give you a couple of analogies and then some object lessons. Has anyone ever come to you and asked you? Has anyone ever come and said, Look, uh, I, I don't even know how to ask you this, but it's embarrassing, but I need your counsel. I have been doing everything possible to get out of shape but I cannot do it. Every time I go to the doctor, my blood pressure is perfect. Heart rate's exactly the way that he says it should be. And I, I, I made it my New, Year, New Year's resolution to get out of shape, but I'm in perfect shape. Boy, you sure know how to do it. Would you please give me your guidance? Would you? I, I've been watching you. I noticed that you can't walk up a flight of stairs without breathing heavy. Just the, just the slightest bit of physical labor causes you, causes you sweat to break out all over your forehead. You, you really are kind of soft all over. You smell a little bit like pork. And so would, would there be any way that you could help me get out of shape? Has anyone ever been asked that? Of course not. What about this? Has anyone ever come to your home and knocked on your door? You opened it up and then had that person say to you, man, we got a mess down at our house. We are trying to grow weeds, but we cannot do it. Man, our, our yard is perfectly manicured. We can't get weeds anywhere, but man, you sure have them. Would you please come down to our house 
Man, you've got weeds in your landscaping. You've got weeds in your yard. You've got weeds under that car. You've got on those cinder blocks out there. Would you please come down to our house and teach us how to grow weeds? We just got grass, beautiful grass everywhere. Has anyone ever asked you that? Of course not. And the reason is because if you want to get out of shape, you don't have to try to do so. All you have to do is not focus on being in shape, and you will get out of shape. Has anyone ever come and said that about your grass? No, because the reason is because you don't have to try to grow weeds in your yard. All you have to do is not stay focused on keeping the weeds out of your yard, and they will take over. Now, that same principle is what I'm talking about here. What I'm saying is that it is entirely possible for people who really do love Jesus, for people who desire to, to live the way that he wants them to, it is entirely possible for us to go through an entire day, an entire week, an entire month, and even an entire lifetime and not really, really ever seek first the kingdom of God. And it isn't because we are shaking our fist in God's face. It is because we do not stay intent on God moment by moment, day by day. I want this time to be everything the way that you want it to be. God, in, in how I treat people and what I do, please understand I am not in any way saying that everybody should quit their jobs, everybody should quit school and become ministers or, or missionaries, missionaries or anything like that. I'm not at all saying that, and Jesus here did not intend for all of those people to, to give up their jobs. What I am saying, though, is that in the life of an accountant, in the life of a teacher, in the life of a banker, in the life of a plumber, it is possible for us to live so that this hour, this day, is exactly the way that God intends for it to be. In, in our various walks of life, as a student, as a uh, whatever, it should be our goal to say, God, in my responsibilities and the calling that you have given me, in what I have to do every day, I can't stay at home and read the Bible all day. I have to go to work. But while I am at work, I am determined that everything that I do at work will be the way that you want it to be that I will work as hard as I possibly can in order to honor you and to give a fair day's work to my employer. I want to please you that way. And God, today I might encounter some difficult people. Today this patient is coming in or this customer is coming in and boy, she rubs me the wrong way. But God, today let that encounter be exactly the way that you that's what I'm seeking. We don't have to awaken in the morning and say, God, I don't want to seek your kingdom. In the same way that we don't have to begin the new year saying, at the end of this year, I really want to be out of shape. Just don't focus on the alternative and you'll get that way. And what I'm saying about the kingdom of God is if we don't focus on seeking it, then the alternative comes. We don't seek it. Let me close with these object lessons. Has anybody here ever lost your car keys? 
If you've ever been in a hurry to go somewhere and you couldn't find your car keys and so you felt in the pants pockets that you wore the night before, the keys aren't up on the hook by the door, you women start digging down through your purses. I don't know how you find anything in there. You start digging down through there and say, oh, there's my son's term paper. That's why he didn't graduate. You go, another, there's my little dog, grandmother. And you start digging down and finding all these things in there. Of course, we all have done that. We all have lost our car keys. Or what about this? Has anybody ever lost the remote control? Of course, I know you women don't. You don't ever get to touch it. But maybe in your home you've lost the remote control and so you start feeling under the sofa cushions. You lift up the recliner to see if it dropped down in there. If you can't find it, you tell your children, get up and go change the channel. Why do I have to do that? That's why we had you get up and go change the channel. Or what about this? Has anyone ever lost your cell phone? Has anyone ever had to call your cell phone so that you could hear it ringing and say, I know it's here somewhere? Of course we have. We all have lost these items, but it isn't because we did so on purpose. Nobody ever said, oh, cars. We need to get back to where we walked everywhere we went, and so I take these car keys and I renounce them. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever said, oh, we've gotten so incredibly lazy in America, we cannot even get up off of the couch and go change the television channel. There are going to be some changes in this house, and this is one of them. Nobody's ever done that. And nobody's ever said, oh, I hate the convenience of a cell phone where driving on Highway 15 going 71 miles an hour, I can tweet out or Snapchat important information. I like popsicles. Nobody ever has done that. But because we did not intentionally keep up with where these items were, we ended up not being able to find them when we wanted them. What if each of us this week were to choose one of these items as our own personal reminder? What if each one of us were to choose one of these items and every time we touch it this week, we would use that as a trigger to say, God, help me stay focused on seeking first your kingdom. I don't want to waste this day. I don't want to waste this week. And so, God, this is just a physical way that I want you to remind me that what's more important than anything else, what takes top priority, is that I seek first your kingdom. That's what you specifically told me. And then we could just use these reminders all week long to, to drive us back on track. Our house in West Point is still standing. My mother still lives there in the house where my mom and dad raised my brother and me. We never had a fire. But imagine that we did. Just use your imagination with me. Suppose that we did have a fire in that house. And, and then my mom would race home from school uh, or would race home from work to, to see how everything was. She would get there before my dad. And let's say that I greeted her standing right out on the road 
right out, out on Hibbler Street. And she, she pulled to a stop. Son, did you get out the pictures? Did you save the pictures? And then say, no, Mom, I did not. But let me show you what I did get. A can of cream-style corn. You know how much we like it. And so I ran and grabbed this can of cream-style corn. Mom, aren't you pleased? She would not be. She would be devastated. Because she had spent all of that time saying, get the pictures, get the pictures, get the pictures. Don't worry about anything else. Get the pictures. That's what matters most. And then what if I were to say, but no, no, here's what I chose to get, cream-style corn. She would say, son, we can go to the grocery store and get, a, get as many cans of that as we want for 79 cents. Why didn't you get what I told you was most important? I really am afraid that when many believers stand face-to-face -face with Jesus to give an account of their lives, they will present him cans of cream-style corn. They did not do anything immoral. They did not get into the gutters of sin. They didn't, they didn't go into the far country like the prodigal son. But they missed the importance of day by day by day seeking what Jesus said was most important. And I don't want to be that way. And I don't think that you do either. So this week, why don't we get some good traction by using one of these reminders and say, God, just keep me focused on your agenda. Let, let this day, let this next hour, if you, have to, if you have to make it, God, let this next five minutes be the way that you want it to be. Make everything about it the way that you want it to be. That's what I'm seeking first. Now, Steve's going to come and lead us in our closing song and then we're going to be dismissed to go to Sunday school. We've got classes for every single age group here. We hope that you'll go right on into Bible study. When we finish, however, if there are people who are not yet part of the body of Christ and you have questions about how to begin a relationship with God, I would love to talk with you about how the Bible says that God swings the gates of heaven wide open and whosoever will may come to be a part. If you already are a Christian and are wrestling with priorities and struggling with demands on your time and energy and money and you say look would you just pray with me that I this week will focus on the kingdom of God I would love to do that let's all stand together we're going to sing together and then we will finish